Welcome to Backstage at Upstage, a presentation of Upstage Lung Cancer, which uses the performing arts to raise awareness and funding for lung cancer research. Here's your host, the founder and president of Upstage Lung Cancer, Hilde Grossman. We're so glad to be back with you again today, where we're going to explore the question, what would Sherlock Holmes do to solve the mystery of cancer? Well, that would be elementary, my dear Hildy. Actually, more than elementary, it would be MIT-level uh, study. And uh, hi, I'm Jordan Richard. My friend Hildy and I get together and do these podcasts. And an amazing panel that we've assembled today, all from the Koch Institute at MIT, including the executive director, Jane Wilkinson. We have Tarek Fadel, Jesse Kirkpatrick, and Christina Cabana, all outstanding researchers here to try to unlock the mystery. Let's go. Jane, it's so exciting to have you at the Koch Institute now. Um, And I know you've had this amazing career. So can you tell our audience a little bit about your experience now and your and your background. It's just so cool. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm actually pretty new to the Coke. I've been here for three months, um, but I've been involved in collaborative science for over 25 years. You know, my background, my science background started off in working in the Human Genome Project, and I led the Chromosome 1 initiative for the Human Genome Project, which was a multi multinational, multi-billion dollar project, which really relied on people coming together for, you know, the, the greater good and a much bigger goal than anything that could actually happen in, in a single lab. That passion of collaborative science has, has always been a huge part of me. Um, it's a huge part of my personal mission to really get us all to come together and, and think about um, think about a problem um, together and collaboratively. And when this opportunity came up at the Coke for me, you know, it was an absolute no-brainer. You know, when I think about how the Coke pulls together our biologists and our chemists and and our material scientists and our engineers and our chemical engineers. I mean, it really is absolutely true collaboration. And you see these collaborative moments and conversations happen in the elevator. You know, they happen at the back of a a seminar room. And and even during lockdown, I have just been so incredibly impressed at how we've been able to keep this collaborative environment going and, and with the energy as high as it always is here. So let me turn to Tarek. So many exciting projects are going on that we've fortunately been a part of funding using nanotechnologies. Explain to the audience a little bit, and not to mention to me a little more, um, what nanotechnologies is all about. What is that? Uh, the Mobile Center focuses on, on nanomedicine, uh, which refers to uh, miniaturized technologies, uh, the type of tiny technologies that empower the, the smartphone you're holding right now. And, and it helps basically tackle, uh, we're using these technologies to tackle grand challenges in, in early detection and the treatment of cancer. So an incredible team of faculty and researchers and uh, many, many collaborators. Uh, and what's also remarkable is that together, they, they really span the full spectrum of, of cancer care through uh, the many projects we've funded so far, uh, from developing tools for early detection to uh, new precision therapies for cancer. Besides the fact that uh, maybe I would say hundreds of millions to, if not billions, have had a COVID-19 vaccine formulation that is based on nanomedicine. It's a field of research that really sits at the scale of, of biology. So a scale so small that is invisible to the naked eye, uh, so tens of thousands of times smaller than the width of human hair. And so what it does, it, it helps researchers use uh, really small tools to probe what's happening inside our bodies. And uh, whether it is to get a precise readout on a biological process that is abnormal, so in the case of cancer, 
Um, so that, that would help you in, in, in detecting it early or disrupting it. Uh, so disrupt any you know, disease, disease tissues with the, with the precise delivery of a therapeutic. Thanks so much for that explanation, Tarek. And now on to Jesse. We'd love to hear more about the specific project that we at Upstage Lung Cancer helped to fund using nanotechnologies. Tell us about that. We're all here to talk about lung cancer. And we all agree that lung cancer needs to be detected earlier. And so typically, when we think about detecting a disease, we think about biomarkers. So anyone who's ever had a blood test knows what it means to look for biomarkers. So biomarkers are, um, are some kind of marker that tells us what's going on in our bodies. So typically, these can be proteins or DNA or other molecules that, for example, might be produced by a tumor and then shed into the blood or some other kind of accessible fluid like saliva or urine. And so one of the challenges with early detection of cancer is that we have about five liters of blood in our body. And when a tumor is really, really small, it's only producing a small amount of stuff, DNA, proteins, other molecules, uh, that are diluted in this very large volume of blood. And so to use the old cliche, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Only this time, the needle is a lot smaller than a needle. Instead of focusing on using traditional biomarkers like these, where unfortunately it's really hard to detect early stage cancer because you know, you're trying to find such a small quantity of something in a very large volume, our lab has been working to develop what we call synthetic biomarkers. And the idea behind a synthetic biomarker is that instead of checking the blood or some kind of um, accessible fluid for whatever the tumor decides to spit out, we can actually deliver something to the tumor to measure what's going on directly at the site of disease. And so thinking back to Tarek's point about this power of nanotechnology, we can actually use nanoparticles that we can send to the tumor and detect enzymes um, that are being made by the cancer cells. And so these enzymes that we're interested in are called proteases. And you can think of them as helping the cancer cells to kind of cut the surrounding uh, the surrounding tissue uh, that are, you know around the tumor, which allows it to um, invade and spread and eventually to metastasize. Um, and so proteases are basically just enzymes that cut proteins. Um, and so when we deliver these nanoparticles into the body, if the nanoparticle encounters a lot of proteases, that's a sign of cancer. And what happens is that once these nanoparticles detect proteases within a tumor, they release a small reporter which is like a signal to the outside world that the nanoparticle has found its target. And the reporter is then filtered into the urine, which actually allows us to do a simple urine test for cancer. And so I'm not gonna go into all of the details right now, and I'm happy to answer more questions or go into um, as much detail about the specifics um, as you'd like. But what we've been doing with the support of upstage lung cancer is we've been taking this technology to detect proteases and applying it to the early detection of lung cancer. And we've had quite a bit of success um, and are excited about future directions. Thanks so much, Jesse. And now on to Christina, who works with Tyler Jacks in his lab. There's a project that uh, you're doing that upstage lung cancer also helped to fund on organoids. Well, 
I have this little story when I uh, st- stopped over at the uh, Koch Institute and um, the discussion was about organoids. I said, oh, I know all about organoids. Now, most of you probably have never heard of it. But I said, I do know all about organoids. And they were so surprised and said, gee, how do you know about that? And I said, well, I learned all about it watching Grey's Anatomy. It was a great episode. Hildy, I must have missed that episode. I thought organoids were people who were just incessantly organized and drove the rest of us crazy. (laughs) That's so funny. So, Christina, why don't you tell us a little bit about the project you're working on with organoids? Sure. I haven't seen that episode, but I might have to try and find it. Um, I guess first, what I should say is that a lot, most of the work for this collaboration was really pioneered by a previous grad student lab, um, Santiago Naranjo, and I've been really fortunate to continue working on them since he's been gone. Um, but as far as what are organoids, so the idea that it is basically that we're always looking for better ways to model cancer, and as you pointed out, better ways to model the early stages of lung cancer specifically. And so organoids are often referred to as like organs in a dish. And the idea is that rather than just taking cells out of a mouse or even a human, for example, and growing them in a flat dish like we are so often used to in lab, we can actually grow them so that they maintain some of the structures that they have in the body. So it's really important that cells communicate with other cells nearby in order for them to maintain their identity and do all the things that they're supposed to do or that they unfortunately do, for example, giving rise to lung cancer. And so with these lung organoids, we're basically able to culture cells from mouse lungs that normally give rise to lung cancer. They're called alveolar type 2 cells. And then we can, in a dish, transform them so that they become cancerous. And this really allows us to see those early, early stages of going from a normal cell to a cancerous cell in a setting where we have a lot of control. So rather than happening inside of a mouse, it's happening in a dish where we can uh, perturb that and make different changes to it. And in the case of this collaboration, look for things that are changing so that um, we can support all the great work that's been done. It's a push generally to not only make organoids like we're making from mice, but also from human samples. Um, so that's actually something that we could potentially do is, is culture cells, either normal cells or uh, cancer cells from different patients and be able to specifically how those um, cells are acting or how they respond to different treatments, for example. That's one way it can be translated. Um, and then more broadly, from the research that we're directly doing with these mouse cells is really just understanding that process of transformation so that we can, for example, in this case, find new biomarkers of that process or potentially intervene. Jane, I have a question, and we started off, and Hildy and I were asking you about the collaboration, and we've just heard from three other of your colleagues, and it's most impressive, all the work that's going on. Is there a a collaborative link that you can sort of further define? Because it looks as though everyone's working at the same time for the same goal, but doing some very different things. Yeah, and I know we're here um, today to really um, talk about lung cancer, but I think, you know, one of the one of the things that makes um, collaboration so powerful is that we, we tend to think about all of our problems um, as cancer. And, you know, we have projects that are very focused on lung cancer, but, you know, we also um, pay a lot of attention to basic research, especially um, cancer tumor type agnostic. We're not just thinking about, you know, pushing out 
about new technologies, we are very firmly rooted in basic science because we need to understand the mechanism of cancer to be able um, to push our technologies and our detections and our, and our, our treatments further. And again, that's another collaborative space that we have here um, at the Coke, where our basic research teams that are embedded in, in all of the different faculty groups here all have a component and, and a thought around um, basic science and, and how understanding the mechanism of cancer is really at the heart of everything. Jane, I wish you would talk a little bit about lung cancer research and how important it is. While lung cancer research has been seriously underfunded, it also has led the way for research in other areas. So I wonder if you could talk about this aspect of uh, early detection and treatment research. So, you know, I think we all agree that with lung cancer, early detection is the absolute key to um, being able to understand and treat um treat the cancer. And I think early detection is something that we're all very focused on um, here at the Coke. Um, you know, we, we've talked about some of our biomarker um, nanoparticle um, early detection tools, the uh, um, the P-sticks that Sangeeta's lab's been working on, you know, and those diagnostic um, nanoparticles are not just about early detection, but they're also very important in treatment as well. Um, understanding um, how the tumors are, are recurring. Um, so really, kind of under, really getting to the heart of the cancer much earlier um, than we ever have before. But, you know, the other thing I'm thinking about with lung cancer is because, you know, primarily, um, you know, the, the detection tool has been a CT scan, a, an, an X-ray. It, you know, it, it's around imaging. One of the focus areas that we're really beginning to think about is um, using artificial intelligence and, and machine learning um, and using those tools to help us understand um, and detect cancer at a much earlier level. And, you know, and given what, that we are still um, very much in the world of, of um, imaging detection for lung cancer, I'm super excited about how we're going to be using AI and even just as an imaging tool so we can better characterize and identify those tumors earlier. So what's the importance of computers adding into the mix of evaluating these scans? Um, so artificial intelligence, machine learning, as it's also known, is a way for um, computers to interrogate a tremendous amount of data, and we call it big data, um, with with the you know absolute focus. Every radiologist is just a human being, but a computer can just you know continue to work and continue to um, to learn over and over again, interrogating these images, and they're really going to help us really kind of play a very critical role in the early detection efforts. You know, we call it. Artificial intelligence, but I think it's really more important to think about it as machine learning. They're very, very good learning tools, and they have the ability to be more uh, to be more accurate and faster in detection. And even if you know outside of the world of imaging as well, I really believe that um, artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to start to help us as researchers pull together just tremendous amounts of medical and health data and and epidemiology data really understanding everything about the patient as it relates to their cancer and not just always thinking about cancer as, as a molecular problem. Jesse, would you like to comment on, on my comments so far on machine learning and how you've, you've been using it personally in your research with upstage cancer? It's great that we're having this conversation about, about machine learning. Um, and it's a conversation that probably we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be having 
thing, um, you know, five, 10 years ago. So this is really um, an emerging concept that's gaining a lot more clinical traction. In, in our research, so I've mentioned to you that we are able to send nanoparticles into the tumor and detect these enzymes called proteases that the tumor cells use to grow and invade and spread. Now, it turns out that there are over 500 different types of proteases, and each of them um, play a different role in normal biology and in disease. And so in cancer, there are many, many, many different types of proteases that are doing different things. Some of them are helping the, the tumor cells to, to spread. Some of them are helping the tumors to recruit new blood vessels to, to provide fuel. And what we can do with our technology is we can actually detect many of these proteases at the same time. And so what that means is we can detect different processes that are happening. So you can imagine there might be an issue if we only wanted to detect one of these proteases. The problem would be that maybe one of the proteases is active in one person's tumor, but not another person's tumor. And similarly, if we were only looking at one protease, maybe it would be hard to distinguish cancer from, let's say, some other process um, that also involves proteases. For instance, uh, inflammation or maybe um, buildup of scar tissue or infectious diseases. So by measuring many of these proteases at the same time, we can capture as many patients as possible and also have the highest possible specificity for cancer. So the way that this works in practice is we can actually administer a cocktail of up to 20 or maybe even more nanoparticles at the same time, each of which is able to detect a unique set of proteases and each of which releases a different type of reporter that goes in the urine. So we can do some kind of fancy tests to uh, measure all of these different reporters. And then the question is, what do we do with that data? How do we take these 20 reporters and turn that into a, a diagnosis of, yes, there's cancer or no, there isn't cancer. And this is where machine learning is really an incredibly valuable tool um, because what you can do is you can actually just train one of these, what we call machine learning classifiers using some of the data. You just give the data to the classifier and the classifier then learns based on that data, what data corresponds to cancer and what data corresponds to no cancer. And then when you get a, a new patient coming in and getting this test, you can feed that data to the classifier to this machine learning classifier and it can you know run its work its computational brain and spit out an answer comparing the data that you're giving it to the data that it already has for yes cancer or no cancer and it'll be able to tell you whether or not the patient has cancer it sounds like it would be an exciting and very innovative way to expand information available to doctors Tarek, do you have any thoughts about this yourself I think what, what it does also is it, is it really converges with the idea that cancer is, is, the, is a heterogeneous disease and it's not going to be the same. Neither is it going to be the same one month from now to six months from now. It's extremely heterogeneous and it is a big data problem and you need to make sense of that data. And to do that, you need to have the tools to be able to make sense of the data, but also the tools to capture that data. You know, this is fascinating, Hildy. On previous podcasts, we've discussed with other wonderful guests the concept that 
all of us have cancer cells in our bodies, cancer cells that come and go. So what we're hearing here is a collaborative effort to find out the secrets of cancer as a whole. That's right, and how complex cancer is, and that it is not a, a unified circumstance, that it's just one disease, but it's, it's many aspects of uh, the disease that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, Hilde, your question, again, resonates with me about how important it is that we continue to remain focused on basic science as well as our technology development. You know, really getting to understand uh, the mechanisms of cancer um, at a cellular level, what is causing it to come and go, as as you mentioned. Um, You know, we have a really good understanding of uh, the presence of circulating tumor cells that are are in our body, both, um, both those of us with cancer and those without, um, you know, I, again, back to this, this, you know, overwhelming support of, of really understanding the basic science of cancer. Christina, do you have any comments? I mean, I guess I'll just comment quickly that one thing that's also fascinated me similarly is not only that cancer is so heterogeneous between people, but also within a singular patient and that there are different kinds or different specific tumor cells that will go on to see those metastases and some that do not. Um, and that's something that I think I've, I've been working on in the lab's working on because it's, it's fascinating how it can change so quickly and how we really need to understand these things at a very deep level um, because it's not that all, all the cancer cells are the same. One of the projects that Upstage Lung Cancer is proud to support is a an investigation of using breath to um, detect lung cancer early. Uh, Actually, if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. So can you tell us a little bit about this project, Jesse? This technology that I've been telling you about, these nanoparticles that you can send to the tumor and these enzymes in the tumor can, can cut something off of the nanoparticle. And then there's that reporter And that reporter is kind of the signal to the outside world that there is cancer. And in the work that um, that we've talked about so far, that reporter goes into the urine. But because we are engineers, and this is an engineer technology, we are not beholden to any real rules about what we can and can't do. So let's say a traditional biomarker Um, let's say a traditional biomarker that goes into the urine, you're kind of stuck with measuring the urine. You have to do that. Similarly, like some kind of protein that only circulates in the blood, you can't just decide, okay, I want to turn that protein into something that can be exhaled or can go into the saliva or can do this, this, and that. But we as engineers can actually design the reporter to be exhaled, to go into the urine, um, to circulate around the blood, And so this most recent work that Upstage Lung Cancer has been funding is to create a breath-based readout for lung cancer. And this is not really a new idea. There are other groups out there that have shown that there are, if you you just take a patient who has lung cancer and who doesn't have lung cancer, when they exhale, there are differences in um, what we call metabolites, which are small molecules that we all have in our bodies that are produced um, through various normal processes that happen in all of our bodies. And there are differences in these metabolites between patients with lung cancer and people without lung cancer. But those differences aren't really strong enough 
especially in early stage lung cancer, to provide a very accurate, a very accurate determination of whether or not the patient has cancer. So we're kind of taking this idea and, and turning, it, turning it on its head by turning that reporter that's responding to the proteases in the lung cancer and turning it into what we call a volatile reporter. So instead of a reporter that goes into the urine, it's a reporter that is uh, a gas. And when you breathe out, that reporter can then be detected. And what's great about this technology and this approach and using, using breath instead of urine is first and foremost, it's speed. So typically we, you know, it takes a couple of hours after you ingest something um, for it to eventually end up in the urine. But with breath, we've found that we can see an appreciable breath signal from these nanoparticles that we introduce within minutes, in some cases earlier than 10 minutes. And what that means is that you could actually have a patient come in, get a test, and then 10 minutes later, know whether or not they have lung cancer, which is an incredible thing, especially when you start thinking about global settings where there isn't as much infrastructure to uh, track patients longitudinally, or when you start thinking about um, patients even within our own communities who um, have difficulty getting to a clinic for, let's say, a second visit, um, or might not be able, might be what we call like lost follow-up um, after getting a test. So if you can just have that test administered and then read out within the same doctor's visit, the technology would be much, much more scalable and generalizable to uh, the global community and also other communities within within this country as well. The time has gone quickly, and now it's time to end as we started with the question, what would Sherlock Holmes make of all this research we've discussed today? Let's start with you, Jane. I think Sherlock would be absolutely amazed and overwhelmed at how, you know, it really is taking, you know, an army of people to come together. You know, I really don't think Sherlock and Watson alone could have handled this. Um, you know, and again, back to that very collaborative nature of research that we have here at the Coke. But I also want to mention, you know, our collaborations, you know, span much further outside of the building, you know, with our local biotech community, our local hospitals, um, and this very kind of entrepreneurial spirit that we have here at the Coke. Um, I, I, I think Sherlock will be blown away at just how many people are coming together to solve this mystery. I do want to I do want to reiterate Jane's point about about the need for collaboration um, and this point that, that Sherlock and Watson couldn't have done it themselves. Cancer is a huge problem. Years and years of traditional approaches to research have not resulted in or an ability to detect cancer early or treat it um, in a way that captures or th that is accessible or um, effective for the majority of patients. And so I'm extremely grateful to be a part of an extremely collaborative community where you know people like myself and Christina and all these other these other researchers in, in the Koch Institute and in the broader um, Cambridge and Boston community and, and also uh, agencies like yourselves, um, you know, and, and patient communities that are able to inform this from a patient's perspective, um, that really make this work possible. 
um, just reiterate Jane's point about the collaborative nature of this. I think when I started deciding what I wanted to study and thinking about cancer in general, I was really amazed that if you, you know, go to any sort of seminar, there's all different kinds of scientists. There's immunologists, there's engineers, there's biologists, there's pathologists. And I just thought, wow, if, if all of these people are thinking about this problem, it must be really hard. And like, I want to do that. And I think Sherlock Holmes has a little bit of maybe healthy hubris and thinking that he can tackle uh, some really hard problems. And I think it takes a little bit of that as a cancer researcher, not to be overwhelmed, but to be like excited about this, this giant problem that we're tackling. Um, and so that's sort of my take on, on what he would think. I think he'd appreciate the, the drive that we all have to, but also be pleasantly surprised that we're willing to all work together to get it done. I think Sherlock will probably need uh, more and an eyeglass to actually witness the marvels of, of nanoscience. But um, I think he also would, would want us to, to think big, a little more about how we can be more patient-centric, um, just echoing what others have said. You know, a lot of the stuff that Jesse and Christina are doing and other researchers at Coke is really getting things to the point of care, closer to, you know, to the patient and less, you know, um, um, intense lab work or, or machineries and whatnot you need to get all that data and, and thinking a little bit more about making these cases of early detection less incidental or um, too late and being able to make this uh, more seamless is something that, that really, we gotta think big, you know, we, got, we gotta get there. I wanna thank everyone today for being with us for this stellar and super interesting podcast. Uh, these researchers clearly think outside of the box and we certainly um, appreciate each other because at Upstage Lung Cancer, we like to think that we also think outside of the box using music and the performing arts to raise awareness and uh, funds for lung cancer research. So important, as you could hear today. So, so desperately needed and so important. Thank you all again, each and every one of you, for all of the insights and information you added. Sure. So thank, thank you so much for having me. And thank you also for all of the support for this ongoing collaboration. It's been really great to get to talk to you all. Yeah, thank you so much and, and be well. Will do. Um, Hildy, thank you so much for um, inviting us all here today to be part of this podcast. I think we've had a lot of, you know, talking about the science, talking about the technology, talking about collaboration and, and thinking about things just like Sherlock and Watson would do. And, you know, I also want to thank you, Hildy, and, and everybody at Upstage um, Lung Cancer for your support and your help and your absolute tenacity um, in, in trying to solve lung cancer. Thank you. Thank you to Jordan, my dear partner in this. <laughs> I am happy to be with you, and now I know what organoids really are. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Please look at our other ones at Backstage at Upstage, and we'll see you again next month. To find out how you can join Upstage Lung Cancer in raising awareness and funding to beat lung cancer, visit our website, upstagelungcancer.org. We invite you to subscribe and download our podcast available on all platforms. And we love reviews and ratings. After all, we're showbiz people. There's more entertainment and inspiration to come on the next podcast episode of Backstage at Upstage.